Welcome to Life Lessons, a ministry of Metro Believers Church. We pray that you will be encouraged by today's teaching. And now, our guest speaker. bunch of Daniels in this room. So I got a clock on to make sure I keep it around 35 minutes. But I remember the Miss Liss single Jordan days. Those were fun days. It makes this church feel like it's 16 years old now. Thinking back to those high school kids. So thanks for sharing your story, Jordan. We are talking about Daniel today. Um, Hopefully you're able to read the chapter. If you're a guest, um, we're going through the whole Bible in a year. And it's really exciting, and it's really a blur in a lot of ways. So a quick recap from last week. We're in this section where both kingdoms have now fallen. Uh, Israel and Judah have now fallen. Sadly, prior to that, the nation split. And so these are really bad times. And now we're going to find God's people in a place of exile, which is a result of their poor choices. So ushers, you can come. We're going to spend most of our time today, or all of our time, in the book of Daniel today, and we're going to cover chapters, or we're going to be in chapters 1 and 3. Um, most of the scriptures will be on the screen, but if you have your Bible, pull it out, because I'm going to read a lot to you today, and I'd love for you to see what I'm reading, um, or if you have your phone app or whatever. So, we're going to jump right in uh, to Daniel chapter 1. I'm reading from the ESV version of the Bible. And we're going to start in verse 3. It says, Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. Those are verses 3 and 4. So that's setting the table for this exile, this period of exile. Um, Babylon is now the ruling, they're ruling the world. They're dominating the world. They've just defeated Assyria. Um, and Babylon's running the show under King Nebuchadnezzar. So the king sends his, his people, his, uh, his, his eunuchs is what the text says, to go and take some of the cream of the crop from the Israelites and bring them to his court. This ultimately is part of what God does to preserve uh, his nation, is to bring them into this Babylonian empire, this polytheistic empire, many gods, um, and to keep his story alive in the midst of the craziness of Babylon. But what it means for God's people is they're now in exile. So what's exile? Exile just means being pulled from your home. It means being taken away from your home, not being able to live where you want to live. it also means your customs and routines were gone. You know, families were separated. Um, think about what that meant for these people. Like, just a few hundred years ago, we had Moses and the law. We had Joshua, like, planting Israeli flags all over the world. Like, God was with Joshua, and they were dominating. So this group of people now is hearing the stories of then, but now they're seeing their families be ripped apart. Exile is a hard thing. Uh, it, it happens nowadays. It still happens. 
Um, many of you know that our church served the nation of Venezuela in uh, 2006 to 2008. Uh, Pastor Glenn was asked to teach um, biblical leadership down there for three years. Um, he made five trips. I made five trips with him. And we served that nation. And you, know, you think back to 10 years ago in Venezuela, things, things were way different than they are now. Now it's complete and utter chaos. And so in thinking about exile and wanting to understand that more, I looked a little bit closer at Venezuela, and I found the story about a journalist uh, who, who was in exile there. So I'm going to read you a little bit about it. It talks about how they're in the airport, Simon Bolivar International Airport, and he had been exiled. Journalists were told to get out. You can't be here to tell the story. So he's being sent away from his home. And what he said, and this will be especially meaningful for the Star Wars fans in the room, he said he, he was in the airport taking his last look and watching the home planet. It was as if he was like Princess Leia watching her home planet of Alderaan explode from a window of the Death Star. How many remember that scene from Star Wars? That's what this journalist felt like. It's like, wow, that's my home. And this place is crazy, and I have to leave. Like, think about that. He goes on to say, or the article goes on to say, Cabrisa's story represents an entire segment of Venezuelan society. With the country teetering on the edge of collapse, the middle class are fleeing. We know people from there who have left because they just had to get their families out. We know them personally. We're still in touch with them. Those who leave rarely have much chance of going back. They're stuck outside. They simply have to stand and watch as everything they love goes up in flames. As Cabrisas wrote of his new home, he said, I have to reinvent myself. Nobody here cares that I was a writer in another country, in another language, in another saga. It's up to us to fit into this world, welcoming the city, connecting its narratives, even as we keep an eye out the window on Alderaan's remains. So I hope that gives you a good picture of exile, a good modern-day picture of exile. It's real. It's happening today very personal. So we're going to keep reading here and talk more about the Jewish people in exile. Verse 5, it says, The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. These boys were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. That was verses 5 and 6. So the other part of this exile was not just being ripped from what you knew and what was familiar. It's being expected to kind of forget about it and take on the new. Later on, we see that they get new names, but they're also expected to do, to eat, to participate in all these new customs. Remember, this is polytheistic. So in some ways, Nebuchadnezzar kind of thought, well, hey, it's just one more, it's one more set of gods. We, we, we like a bunch of them. <laughs> but these were true worshipers of the one true God. So it was a problem for them. In the middle of that, in the middle of that, they made up their minds they would not compromise. So Daniel and his friends refused to compromise. On to verse 8. It says, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. So Daniel made up his mind. Daniel resolved. So let's talk about resolve for a minute. Um, and I broke it down into two ideas. One is belief and one is conviction. 
So a working definition of belief would be just an an acceptance that a statement is true or that something exists. Another part of that would be a a trust or faith in in something or someone. Conviction is different. Conviction is bigger. Conviction is the quality of showing that one is firmly convinced of what he says or believes. And ultimately, that will lead to action. So before things start to really shake out in, in a bad way for Daniel, he has made up his mind about what he's going to do in this strange land. He's drawn a line in the sand. So, like, what was he trying, what, what, what exactly did he resolve? And there's way more in commentaries on this than you would think. Um, you know, there's different thoughts about why he didn't eat it. Was it because it was the wine and the food were offered to pagan gods? There's all these things. But ultimately, the best explanation I found, or the most accepted one, is that he and his friends decided they wanted to protect themselves from being ensnared by the luxurious culture they were now a part of. Now it gets close to home. America, we got it pretty good in America. There's a lot of luxury we could become ensnared with. So we see Daniel as a, an ancient example of someone we can really track with and say, wow, in Babylon, he drew a line to say, I'm not going to jump in on some of this stuff because I see the risk. Along with that, he saw that by drawing his line and really pushing, he was going to keep his old culture. He wasn't going to let it go. So there was like a twofold benefit for him. So that was part of the resolve. I think he was able to do this because he was such a man of deep prayer. Okay? Daniel was known. He, he was like a clock. You could set a clock to him. Three times a day, he was going to go and kneel. He was going to go and face Jerusalem and he was going to pray to the Lord of the universe. They counted on him for that. So one of the, the, the writers I read said, he actually raised the question. We always think of Daniel and his courage with the lion's den. Well, what if his courage was just the function of his consistent prayer life? Like, what if he doesn't know any better because he is walking so close with God, right? Like, that, t- that puts a whole different spin on it because we can all be courageous in a moment. Right? Like, I, I like to think that if I saw a car and, I, and my family was in the way, I would be the one to rush out there and push them out of the way in the moment. But my family would be the first to say that, Dad, you're not real consistent sometimes. Sometimes you're a little bit angry. Sometimes you're a little bit impatient, right? So I take this example with Daniel and say his courage was a function of his consistent walk with the Lord. That's why he was able to have the resolve that he had by God's grace. So how consistent is your communication with God? One of my favorite Bible teachers, um, he says it this way when he's teaching. He says, heart check, pause for a minute, ask yourself, how consistent is my prayer life? What does my prayer life look like? Do you, do, do you have what Pastor Glenn calls breath prayers during the course of your day? Like, are you inviting him into every part of your day? Or is it just when it's like a big thing? Do you, like, 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 I know when I get sick, man, I'm on my knees because... Men, we're wimps. When we get sick, you know, we're not like women, you know. But, like, that's when it gets really intense. Man, Lord, I need you, and you've provided healing for me. And, but, like, am I like that all day long? So I think that's a practical application we can take from this. All right, we're going to talk now about verse 9 and see the hand, God's hand of favor and how it is with Daniel and his friends. Verse 9 says, And God gave Daniel favor and compassion, in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, 
I fear, my lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let your appearance and the acceptance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them the vegetables. Talk about courage here. He's coming in to Nebuchadnezzar's people and saying, we're not going to do that. And, the, and, and Nebuchadnezzar's eunuch is saying, listen, you're going to get me in trouble. <laughs> I can't not do that. I'm, I'm following orders here. And you're supposed to get the stuff. You're supposed to get the good stuff. Daniel's drawn his line. He's saying no. And he has the courage and the confidence that the Lord's going to grant him favor. And the Lord does. And not only does he let him eat his carrots and celery and rutabagas, okay, but at the end of it all, he says, test me. Go ahead, take a look. Take a look at my friends and the rest of them. And we see that, that they, they passed the test, that they were better in appearance, so the eunuch followed. And so I, I think, again, we're getting, we want to get practical with this stuff. And as I was thinking about this, I thought of 1 Corinthians six nineteen: Treat your body like a temple. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? So like, how are you? Hard check. How are you treating your body? Have you ever considered a fast? I mean, I, I used to think fasting was for kind of the kooky spiritual, you know, people and, and or the people that just, you know, wanted to, to not eat the good food. I don't know. Like, why? Why would you put yourself through that? But as I started participating in fast more, I realized how good it is for me, how, how much it focuses me. And I feel like the Lord helped me to expand my palate. Like, I can't imagine eating an omelet without peppers now. Come on. Before, like, get that stuff out of my food, you know, no vegetables. So, like, like, I feel like as you do so, as you seek to treat your body like a temple, I feel like the Lord will bless you, just like he did Daniel's friends and Daniel himself. So, we're going to continue. Verse 17. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. That's amazing. Ten times better. So, so what's happening here? Like, like a one-sentence summary would be that God allowed Daniel and his friends to be a blessing to their captors and yet maintain their faithfulness to their God. I mean, they're, they're, not, they're not in charge here. And yet they're doing everything that they want to do. <laughs> They're asking to do that. They're being granted favor to do it. And not only are they doing it, their captors are saying, wow, that works. Let's, let's do what they're doing. That's amazing. So again, we're keeping it practical. And I think a slice of this can apply to our world. 
I mean, are you in a situation in work where you feel like you're working for a boss that, that isn't fair? Or that maybe you're stuck in a situation within your family that it's just, it's just not right, it's just not fair? Like Daniel's story, Daniel and his friend's story tells us that you can honor God and have favor with, with the people that are over you. This is real. This, this is possible. We see it here happening. If that's where you are, come pray with us after church. We'd love to stand with you in faith and say, God, do it. God, grant favor to this person who's in this bad job situation or whose family is really oppressive, whatever it is. We want to pray with you. All right, so we've talked a lot about upper story, lower story, my story. So I want to add that language to what we're talking about. The upper story is God's, God's moving things along, okay? He's not going to let his people falter. Even if they're in exile, he's with them. We're see, we've seen that so far. The lower story, as seen through Daniel's eyes, is that things don't look good. Uh, Daniel spent his entire 72-year ministry in captivity. <laughs> Think about that. His entire life in exile. And so that's his lower story. Um, and and this, kind of, this is a judgment. And we find that in 2 Kings 20 and Israel thir- uh, in Isaiah 39. This is a function of all that disobedience before that Manuel and Roger had talked about. This is a function of that. So Daniel is one of these books, like Pastor Glenn talked about, like where do you, uh, how do you pick a section to focus on? There's so much here. It's like my friend, I, I said, what's your favorite Switchfoot song? And he's like, I'm about to hang up the phone. I don't have a favorite Switchfoot song because there is no such thing. They're all my favorite. They're all good. They're all the best. So Daniel's like that. You can pick like so many different things. You can talk about his dream interpretation. You can talk about his, um, the, the prophecy side. Half the book is prophecy. Half the book is what's to come. Jesus himself references the book of Daniel in Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 and 16. The lion's den. I mean, you can keep going with all these different things. So after uh, reading through the book two times, I felt led to go to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's their new names. Uh, So this is a story without Daniel. So that's where we're going. Over to chapter 3. And it will be on the screen here. All right. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth was 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon, the king Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather, then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples and nations and languages, that when you hear the sound of the hornpipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. So all these names, satraps, prefects, governors, this is all like the ruling party. So he's there and he's got his people and they're all dressed in their royal garb. You know, Babylon was... Babylon, they had, they had all the best of the best, and now they're commanding, you all will worship. So let's pause for a minute, because I took us from chapter 1 to chapter 3, and at the end of chapter 2, this same Nebuchadnezzar, with all his people standing in front of, uh, of, of all, all the, the, the subjects in the community, 
Uh, this same Nebuchadnezzar is, is saying in verse 47 of chapter 2, he's bowing for Daniel, declaring that Daniel's God is the God of all gods and the Lord of all kings. He did that because Daniel, with God's help, interpreted his dream in chapter 2. So like just re recently, he's saying, Daniel's God, Lord of all lords, king of all kings. And now he's saying, here's this golden image. So he's like, again, he's polytheistic, but still, he's seen Daniel's God move a couple times. And he's still uh, insisting upon more involvement from other gods. So that's the context here. Um, Verse 6, we're going to keep reading. He says, Whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples and nations and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at times, therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the hornpipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. So the, the Chaldeans, the rest of the people, are, are ratting out Daniel and his boys, or not Daniel. Um, and I couldn't, by the way, I couldn't find out why Daniel's not there. So if somebody knows, let me know. But, like, his friends are all there and he's not there. So what I read is he's just conspicuously absent. I'm sure he's doing something good somewhere, but he wasn't there. Verse 12. There are certain Jews of whom you've appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image I've set up? So I think he's disappointed here. I don't think he's angry yet. I think he's disappointed. He just promoted these three. He was Daniel, he was a part of Daniel, or they're part of Daniel's crew. And they were a part of the dream interpretation. And so uh, Nebuchadnezzar just gave them more authority in his kingdom. So I think he's kind of bummed out. I think he's saying, really? Like, come on. I mean, I, I, I want to work with your God. Work with one of mine. Work with some of mine, I should say. So he's disappointed. Um, but they have resolved. They're saying they're not going to bow down. So here's verse 15. We're going to get to that part. It says, now if you are ready... So he's basically giving them a chance. Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Should he not know the answer to this question right now? He should. But he asks, and I honestly don't think he thought they, he, I think he thought they would bow. I think he thought they would. Here's their answer, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. 
But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. That was verses 15 through 18. But if not, it says. The, the NIV says, even if. Even if he does not. I think we're back to that word conviction again. These boys, these young men are facing certain death. There's no surviving this fire. But they predecided, right? The decision that they made to stand before Nebuchadnezzar and say, we're not going in, I don't believe it was because they knew God was going to save them. Their words tell us that. They decided they weren't going in because they knew he was a false, this was a false God. They knew who the one true God was. Conviction, conviction, being able to stand for our convictions. So rather, their decision was made because they knew they knew they would not bow to another God no matter what happened. This is a simple thing to say, but this is not easy to do. Does your belief system have room for a but if not scenario? Like, does your God always have to answer all your prayers the way you want them? That's a challenge. I, I feel like that's got to be a challenge for every believer. It's not fun to not get your prayer answered, but it's real. And I feel like the example we can take from these boys is to make up our mind first, regardless of the consequence. In 2009, Allison and I, we had been trying to get pregnant for four years, and all of a sudden, we're pregnant, and there's three of them. Uh, at week 20, the pregnancy got complicated, and Allison was on bed rest, staying with some friends in Cincinnati, actually some friends from this church who had moved. And I'm traveling back and forth, um, you know, eating poorly because she's gone and on the road a lot. And she's seeing the doctor three to six times a week to have those babies be checked on. And God blessed us with wonderful Christian physicians that were able to say the hard things to us. And at one point, one of them said, listen, you've got three. If you go home with one, you better be grateful. We had one of the non-Christians talk to us about like saving her life and aborting. And it was like, I mean, so it was, it was a lot of crazy things for, for two people who were just wanting a baby and struggling. And all of a sudden now all this is happening. And during one of the days when our, our baby C, um, we had babies A, B, and C, she was the one who wasn't doing well. Um, one of her days when it wasn't going so well, all of a sudden Allison said, this baby C stuff's got to end. Baby C needs a name. So we left the hospital, and we went straight to uh, Xavier University. And um, there was some college kids playing volleyball. We found a park bench, and we sat there. And we had this great, just great prayer time. And it was like, you know, it was like, uh, to paint the scene, it was like eyes open prayer. Like we're, not like we're on our knees, you know, but we're like talking to God, and we're talking to each other, and we're praying. And we came up with the name, Olivia Joy, and it was just like settled in our heart then that like no matter how much time she got, like praise God, right? Like we didn't know. I mean, they're all at risk. That was the part that like we were so focused on the babies and like Allison's at risk in the midst of this too. So it was like all this crazy stuff was happening and in the middle of what I feel like us just surrendering our desire and saying we're not going to stop praising you, Lord. We're not, we're not going to give up 
We're not going to take the bless, allow Satan to take this blessing if it doesn't work our way because you're with us. And I feel like he brought peace and unity and we're two oldest, so we argue a little bit. I mean, we both want our way a lot and, and we, t- we both talk about how we have never felt so unified and so at peace in the midst of such a storm. So I feel like, and, and I'm, not, I'm not saying, okay, we've checked the box, you know, we're, we're comfortable with every but if not. No, we want, we want to speak life to every situation. We want to see God move the way we want him to move. But I'm saying to you, we're not going to stop worshiping. So uh, Olivia Joy died um, at 24 weeks. Sorry. She died at 24 weeks, but she, um, she lived an amazing 24 weeks. And uh, amazingly, we were able to have a memorial for her and invite friends and family and coworkers, and it was a celebration of her life. Pastor Glenn preached. He shared the gospel with people that weren't routinely hearing the gospel. And so, like, and we kind of think, like, I kind of think, maybe this is just me, but I kind of think Chloe is a little bit like her. I kind of think that that's what Olivia would have looked like as Chloe. So, anyway, we've got to have but if not in our theology. We've got to have room to say, I'm going to worship God no matter what happens. We've got to draw the line in the sand. All right, we're going to keep going. Verse 19, Daniel 3, it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, this story is familiar to most of us, and I'm one of those who'd say, yeah, okay, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I've heard that story before. I hadn't noticed this part as much until I started studying this time. Like, these three men, who seemingly were innocent, serving their king, Nebuchadnezzar, died because Nebuchadnezzar was so mad. It said he was filled with fury as soon as he realized that Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego weren't going to back down. And so they stoked the fire seven times more than it was usually heated. And as a result, three men died. Heart check time. Who suffers from the unintended, unintended consequences of your anger if you struggle with anger? Like, like who around you? Who, and, and then secondly, like, what are we so angry with? Right? Like, I feel like we got to ask those hard questions. It seems like whether it's social media, whether it's the news, it's like it doesn't take much to get us just riled up and mad. And, and I think as Christians, we, we got to say, what are we so angry about? And take that to the Lord. And then, I mean, I was challenged to say, like, you know, if I'm, if I'm really frustrated with my wife or someone on the belt line or whatever, like, what are my kids seeing? Right? Are they seeing, like, are, are they asking the same question? What's dad so angry about? What's the problem here, you know? So this is a real challenge. Um, and I, I mean, I hope that, I hope I'm not, hit, not hitting too close to home, but it's for me too. So maybe I'm just preaching to myself, which is just fine. I need to hear my message. Um, 
But the Bible says we can be angry, but we shouldn't sin. That's in Ephesians 4.26. I heard one uh, therapist say that all anger stems from unmet expectations. So, like, who's not meeting our expectations? Do they even know? Does that person you're so angry with even know? Are your expectations reasonable or fair? I guess the great thing about serving the Lord, like, like we talk about the life-giving model here, we can believe the best in these people, and then we can go to them and trust that God, you know, as a day, I love what Dave said, and that we didn't, like, sync that up. He just said, we got one father. We have one good, good father that, that Melissa said that led that song in, and we're all going to live with him forever. So if we've got something to work out, if we've got unmet expectations from someone we love, let's work that out. All right, verse 23. We're coming down to the end here. And these men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his conquerors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men, unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. So he's looking in there saying, what is going on? There's four and we put three and they're just running around. They're not even hurt. And one looks like a, like a god of some kind. So we don't know, was that Jesus? Was that an angel? We know it was the presence of the God of the universe. We know that much. So I think this tells us that God is with us. God is with us in that trial. God is with you if you're feeling some level of exile. He's never going to forsake you. He's here right now. He's near. Verse 26, Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, prefects, and governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he's back to that, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him, and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies, rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then he promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So God delivers again. We sat by a campfire last night to celebrate a birthday. And I mean, it was a beautiful, windy day. Um, probably by the fire for 10 or 15 minutes. I smelled like fire. <laughs> I didn't walk in the fire. <laughs> So, so, like, this tells us that God's, he, God's protection is complete. God's hand of, of, of provision is always what we need. Um, and he provided for the men here. So, as we start to wrap up, three points of application I, I thought we could take home. Number one, God is sovereign. If there is a, a, a big picture message of the book of Daniel, like, it can't get worse. They are in exile, again, his entire life. And, and, and God is sovereign over all that. He, he's, he's not unaware. He's not showing up to your house when you're trapped inside and there's a fire. And he's not pounding on the door saying, I, I can't find the key. I want to get in there and help them, but where's the key? No, he's aware. He's able to help. He's able to provide. 
our God is not unaware. Verse, Daniel verse 4 of 20, uh, uh, chapter 4, verse 25, it says that you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. While it may seem like the Lord was not in control and not sovereign, he absolutely was. So again, I think about that chart Roger put up last week where he had the picture of the Campus Crusade chart where he had God on the throne and then like God or the cross like in the background. Like God's never not on his throne. Where do we see him? Do we decide that like, he's not a part of it? He's always a part of it. He's always working his upper story as we submit to him. No matter what you believe about your circumstances, uh, he is still in control. And Dan the book of Daniel reminds us of that. The second thing is God has called us to holiness. Daniel and his friends did not enjoy an environment that was friendly to their convictions, and yet they remained holy. Is, is your work life, is your world, is Madison a super friendly Christian place? I don't know. What are you finding out there? It seems like they're open to a lot of things here, okay? <laughs> so no matter what, God still calls us to holiness. And what we see in Daniel, it, it is still possible even possible to be a blessing to people who would persecute us. I think to, 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 to truly follow their path, we've got to be submitted to prayer. We've got to be submitted one to another. We've got to find a way to pull, our, pull other people into our lives. Say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Would you pray for me? Hey, I'd like to meet with you because I've been working this through in my mind or, you know, I'm going through a different season of life and I know that you'll pray. Would you come and talk to me? Unsolicited advice is often seen as criticism. That's why if you're, if you're kind of floating, and guys, it's easier for us to do this, but if you're kind of floating, waiting for someone to come and talk to you, like the person who you want to hear from might feel like, well, I don't want to come judge, make him feel like I'm judging him or telling him what to do, right? We got to invite it in. Come talk to me. Come talk to me if you want my input, if you want me to pray for you. So we pray, we, and, then, and then the last part of, of holiness that I want to talk about is the is this the word? Like, find a way to engage the word. I love what the story has done this year. It's opened doors for me in, in the scripture that haven't been open because of how we're studying it this year. So commit to the word. Lastly, God has called us to a life of surrender. These young men were willing to die for their conviction, convictions. They, their story reminds us that God wants all of us, not just our Sundays, not just Sunday mornings, and we put a lot into Sunday mornings. A lot of people made a lot of sacrifices for Sunday morning here. But God wants more than that. He wants more than just our table prayers. He wants more than just our Easter's and Christmases. He wants it all. These men show us that he wants us all. Uh, many of you have heard the song, uh, I Had Decided to Follow Jesus. Have you, if you heard that song, raise your hand. Yeah. It, it, I, I grew up hearing it in, like, Bible school. Like, I mean, uh, vacation Bible school as a kid. And that's kind of like, I didn't know much about the song. But as I was praying and preparing for today, that, that song kept coming to mind. I had decided to follow Jesus. I had decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, verse 2, though none go with me, I still will follow. And then verse 3 is the world behind me, the cross before me. So the, under, the origins of that song, according to Dr. P. Job in a book named Why God Why?, was that it, it came from India. And there was a man who had come to Christ through a Baptist missionary in the 19th century. And he had been drugged into the middle of the village by the chief and commanded to renounce Jesus Christ. 
And his response was, I can't do it. I had decided to follow Jesus. So according to the book, they killed his wife. And he watched. And he continued to say, though none go with me, still I will follow. And then they killed his kids. He continued to sing verse 3, the world behind me, the cross before me. And then they killed him. I like to think I would submit to my father that way. I pray that I would never have to. But I feel like a picture of, thinking about a picture of true surrender was helpful to me. Worship team, you can come. Um, I feel like really submitting to a picture of true surrender uh, as seen by the author of this song or the, the one who's most associated with this song was powerful. We're not called to give up a lot right now, seemingly in this world. But clearly, we serve a Savior, we serve a King who wants it all. He wants it all from us. So if you would stand with me now, we're going to go back to, to worshiping um, through song. And I want to give you a, a, a chance to respond to the Lord. Um, if you would bow your head and close your eyes. I just want to ask, if, if you're here and you would say, yeah, I do believe in Jesus, he's my Savior, but I feel like I haven't fully surrendered or I haven't surrendered, or there's this little piece that I want to keep for me that I don't want to involve the Lord in. You'd say, I want to surrender more. If that's you, raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Yeah, thank you, Father. If you're here today and you'd say, I've never once surrendered to Jesus, I don't have a testimony like, like Jordan would say that he's in my heart, but I, but I do. If you'd say, I want that kind of relationship today, I want you to raise your hand. All right, cool. So just pray with me now if you would. Father, we're so grateful for the truth of your word. We're so thankful that you empowered Daniel. Many days, many of us feel like we're here, not in our native land. And your word says this world isn't your home. You're just passing through. We're on our way to heaven. So we can relate to that idea of being in exile because we're not at our eternal home yet. I pray for everyone, Lord, that, that raised their hands, that would say, Man, I just want to give you more of myself. I want the world to know that the one true king, the Lord of lords, is Jesus Christ. I want that to be seen in my life. I pray that you would bless, bless those people. I pray that our church would be a place where those who would want to go deeper in relationship would find depth that nobody would come here on Sunday and just say, I, I just don't feel like I can connect and share my heart. I pray that we would pull closer as a family so we can pursue purity, so we can pursue holiness, so we can stand on that resolve that Daniel and his friends did. Holy Spirit, I ask you now just to touch each one of us. Every person here is unique, and you love everyone. 
So I pray as we sing this next song that, that you would worship or that, that you would touch each person. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you want to know more about Life Lessons, check us out online at metrobelievers.com or write to us at Metro Believers Church, P.O. Box 45702, Madison, Wisconsin, 53744.